This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. A new rule from the EPA weakens protections for wetlands and waterways across the country, including here in Illinois. This comes after a ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court made it harder for the federal government to protect the nation's swamps, bogs, and marshes. Now, in a few minutes, we'll hear more about what this ruling means for us locally from Paul Botts, executive director of the Wetlands Initiative, a Chicago organization that aims to protect wetlands in the Midwest. But first, we turn to Allison Chu, climate reporter for The Washington Post, to get the big picture perspective. And she starts by telling us what prompted this change. So in May, um, Justice Alito ruled that the Clean Water Act extends only to, quote, um, those wetlands with a continuous surface connection to bodies that are waters of the United States in their own right, so they are indistinguishable from those waters. And that essentially sort of changes the definition and um, broadly uh, weakens um, the EPA's power to, um, you know, regulate regulate wetlands in the United States. The, uh, the EPA, we know it creates and enforces rules that protect the lands, right, and the waterways and biodiversity, our ecosystem, it's, that's obviously in its name. But so how did this mm-hmm. Supreme Court ruling weaken the power of the EPA? Help us understand that. Um, so, so my understanding is that, um, you know, it, it essentially, um, in, in sort of changing the, in, in amending the definition, um, you know, resulted in, in, um, a situation that would potentially prevent the EPA from placing federal protections on, you know, a, a pretty expansive um, amount of of wetlands. Um, I think there is potentially one estimate from Earth Justice, which is an environmental law firm, saying that it could have, it could be as much as 18 million acres, um, and that's that's obviously a, a just one estimate. Um, and and you know, there the EPA and other and others are working on on firming up exactly how much. Um, how much land could be affected by by the change in definition. Mm. Paul, what's your reaction to this new rule from the EPA? Well, the agencies, actually both agencies, this EPA on behalf of itself and the Army Corps, because the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers shares the processual, the, the jurisdiction over this uh, issue with the EPA, the agencies really had no choice. I mean, the, the Supreme Court has laid down new case law, and the agencies must respond. Um, they've responded it seems, in sort of the minimal way that they can. Um, and in fact, some of the parties that uh, submitted Friends of the Court's brief 
on the other side with mm-hmm. the Supreme Court are actually pretty unhappy with the rule and view that the EPA and the Army Corps have sort of done the bare minimum mm-hmm. uh, homework, so to speak. Uh, with regard to the Supreme Court ruling itself, it's it's important to note that the Supreme Court effectively issued two rulings. It's kind of a two-in-one, and it's kind of weird. Um, the first issue, and this is the reason why if you go to look at the Supreme Court website, you'll see it has a nine-to-nothing unanimous ruling. Well, that's confusing because the headlines are all about a five-to-four ruling. Mm-hmm. So what happened there is that the Supreme Court, on the narrow issue before it of the particular property owners in Idaho, the Sacketts, were unanimous, nine to nothing. And that was a blow because what that was essentially saying was that the 50-year legal fight over whether quote-unquote isolated wetlands are part of the Clean Water Act as written, that's been the fight, decades, many court cases before the Supreme Court back and forth. This Supreme Court, nine to nothing, almost without comment, said actually no. The Clean Water Act does not cover those wetlands. Okay, that's one blow. Then the five of the justices went much further than that. And that's what all the headlines are about. And that's really the heart of the new rule that's been issued, which is the test that Alice had just described, this continuous water connection. And uh, anyone who's interested in this, I'm telling everyone I know, go on the Supreme Court website and read what Justice Kavanaugh wrote. He wrote in dissent from his fellow conservatives. And he was quite blunt and clear and uh, in, a, in judicial language was really just calling them out. Yeah. And he did a very good job of it. Allison, EPA Administrator Michael Regan said in a statement, quote, moving forward, we will do everything we can with our existing authorities and resources to help communities, states, and tribes protect the clean water upon which we all depend, end quote. Mm-hmm. So he talks about existing authorities. But, you know, considering that the EPA's powers were significantly scaled back, by this ruling on, on the Clean Water Act, what can the agency do? Is it clear what other options are in the EPA's toolbox right now? Um, I'm I'm not exactly exactly sure about that. I think you know um, as as Administrator Regan made it clear, um, and other EPA officials that I spoke with, you know, they are very much committed to, um, you know, doing whatever they can to protect the country's waterways and, and um, you know, ensure that people have access to, to um, you know, clean, clean and safe water. Um, and I think that's, that's something, um, you know, that, that we will hopefully see play out, um, you know, as, as uh, the EPA and the Corps, uh, you know, start to uh, start to implement the the law and 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 my understanding and, and from what these the EPA officials I spoke with told me you know they will be doing that on a on a case by case sort of decision by decision basis. Mm-hmm. And so we understand, Allison. I mean, why are things changing now? Um. Uh, meaning, why? Why are, are is the definition changing from from what the correct? Core, sorry. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's essentially like what we've been talking about. Very much um, a response to the Supreme Court decision, and um, you know, the the EPA and the Corps um, are are obligated to um, implement and enforce the laws, and and that's and that's what. Um, what they have to do, and and that's and that's what they're doing right now. And, and the whole reason that they uh, jointly put out this amended rule, um, and they make it very clear in the rule itself, is is to conform to the definitions 
um, and the uh, and the specifications you know laid out in Sackett. So when we look down the line five or ten years, what do you think the cumulative effect of this rule change could be? Uh, it's it's a great question, and I think it's that's that's the question that a lot of people are trying to understand now. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, there are there are groups that are trying to to map um, the wetlands and, and understand what protections are in place and, and how that could change um, to get a clearer picture of of you know what the landscape could look like. And you know, federal agencies are are doing this work as well. So I'm I'm being told. Um, but it, it really is going to take a little bit of time to get sort of a full and accurate picture of what the implications could be. Allison Chu is a climate reporter for The Washington Post. Thanks for breaking that down for us. Thank you so much for having me. Paul Botts, executive director of the Wetlands Initiative, is still with us. You know, when, when the Supreme Court issued the ruling back in May, Paul, you called it a nail in the coffin for wetlands. You still believe that? Well, certainly for the quote-unquote isolated wetlands. The wetlands that are not... Uh, near or alongside our rivers, our Great Lakes, and so forth. And that's a real shame because for two reasons. One, it's not supported by any science. Those wetlands are every bit as functional as the obvious wetlands that anybody would sort of look at and see that's a swamp. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about those. So you're talking about out in the forest. We're talking about out alongside the farmland and so forth. And those wetlands provide all the benefits. They, the flood control, the water quality improvement, the habitat, biodiversity. But the other bigger reason why this is a real shame is the context of it, which is we're sitting here in a changing climate. Our climate's already changing. I think everybody now can see and feel this, certainly oh, yeah. in Chicago, I'll tell you what. Absolutely. Um, and these wetlands that nature left us with across this vast landscape are natural sponges. Yeah, r- remind us, for the person who still doesn't get yeah. it, Paul, of, of the role that they play in our ecosystem and, and the value right. that wetlands bring. That's right. They are, they, are, they are natural sponges. They absorb water. They hold water. The plants, animals, microbes, insects all evolved for that circumstance. So in the context of a changing climate, which is bringing our weather, our precipitation to us more erratically, in these incredibly intense gulps, it's not the words the meteorologists use, but we're all experiencing it, right? Yeah. Having more of these sponges across the landscape, not fewer, but more, becomes more and more important as we must adapt to this climate. And the reality is that even if I had a magic wand in my hand and I just zap a wish, and right now the emissions of carbon to our atmosphere stop growing, freeze, Mm -hmm. go back to the levels we want. Let's imagine I have that magic wand. Even so, our climate will continue to change and warm for decades because right. that's the way a global climate works. Well, so ha- losing those wetlands is really tragic. And, and, and to your earlier point, I mean, this summer we saw severe storms Absolutely. brought flooding to residents' homes across the county. Uh, this is still a major concern for folks as we expect to see more severe storms Absolutely. in the future. So just talk more about the role that wetlands play in actually counteracting flood risks. The more you have wetlands distributed across your landscape. And I do mean urban as well as rural. I'm not, you know, suburban everywhere. The more you have that, the less you have to rely on gray infrastructure to to collect and hold all this massive uh, flood water, the storm water. And of course, we have spent the last 150, going almost 200 years doing the opposite. Right. The Midwest in the in the big scheme of things developed from what's called, you know, modern human development, kind of in a blink, just a few human generations. And much of that effort, 
was filling, ditching, removing wetlands. Mm -hmm. And so now we have learned better, hopefully, and we know, and the climate is sort of enforcing upon us that we need more of these sponges, not fewer. And the other thing is, you mentioned the big rainstorms, but think about the weather just around here this year. We had one of the driest springs that any of us have ever experienced. Oh, the drought. I forgot about the drought because right? of all the things that happened yeah. post-drought. And then all of a sudden, starting like around June, late June, early July, we got like a year's worth of rain in exactly. a week or some yeah. ridiculous statistic. So in this global climate weirdness, weather weirdness that we're all living through and our children and grandchildren will live through, mm-hmm. having sponges is great. Also, when you have drought cycles, having the refuges is great. The wetlands... Every time there's a drought, my organization owns and manages a big restored wetland in north central Illinois. We always get the phone calls. The wetlands are drying up. You got to do something. What are you going to do? No, 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 no. The plants, the animals, the microbes, the insects, they all evolved for this. They'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Because they have that wetland to be a refuge for them, they'll be fine. Okay? So that's another reason we need more, not fewer of these wetlands scattered around the landscape. And they play a role in our own quality of health. Absolutely. Um, Wetlands are great filters. Yeah. Uh, For example, it's not the only example, but for example, again, here in the Midwest, the Great Corn Belt, the Farm Belt, one of the most, the largest and most productive farm belt in the entire world. Mm -hmm. We have an unintended consequence of the amazing productivity that our farmers can getting right now. And that consequence is this nutrient runoff. So this is the phosphorus and nitrate fertilizers, Again, part of the productivity miracle, but has this unintended very big side effect where it is doing a lot of damage to our rivers, our streams, our lakes, our Great Lakes, all the way down the Gulf of Mexico. Well, one of the ways that we can help address that is to put more wetlands back on the farm landscape. We're working on that, so are some others. So that's an example of the wetland can very naturally, with no intervention, Mm -hmm. just set it and forget it, do an amazing job of taking up and treating the nitrate runoff. How easy is that, though? I mean, what is it going to take to foster more wetlands in our area? Well, we're working, when again, with other great partners. We're working with farmers on this. Yeah. The idea is to make these wetlands a normal part of the Great Farm Belt. And we think we're gaining some progress. Uh, it's a culture change project, so that's necessarily mm-hmm. not fast. But we think we're really getting some traction with it. So for folks listening right now, what are some ways that they can get involved in restoring some of these habitats? What should they do? Well, it's important to remember that in the Midwest, Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, Ohio, 95% more or less of all the land in each of those states is privately owned. So people who own private land, whether it's backyards or farms or anything else, can play a huge role. There's lots of ways people can do this. We get calls all the time. There's lots of other resources. People in the urban context can start doing things in their backyards or signed lawns like rain gardens and other things that start to provide some of the function of the natural wetlands that Chicago was originally built on. In the suburban context, even more so, there's great organizations like the Conservation Foundation in the western suburbs have this great at-home program that helps people do things like this. Out in the farm belt, we're working with farmers, so are some of our collaborating organizations, convincing farmers what they can do, not taking their farm fields out of production, but what they can do in the context of their working farm. There's lots of ways that people could do that, and then they will get their own, and this is what the farmers are feeding back to us, get these other benefits is, hey, wetlands are pretty. 
wetlands actually are very attractive. Wetlands are not a nuisance. Wetlands mm-hmm. don't create flooding. They don't create that. And the other question we always get, we're working very hard right now in the Calumet region, northwest Indiana, city of Gary, southeast Chicago, about bringing back some wetlands. In that area, we get questions from local communities about mosquitoes. Yeah. Aren't you guys creating a new mosquito farm here right next to all our houses? No, the opposite. A healthy wetland is not a mosquito farm. It's the unhealthy wetland, the well, drainage ditch. That is good to know. Right? So it's this kind of thing. People do a lot, and we're going to have to do it all. We're going to have to do both the big picture and the micro. Yeah. We'll leave it there. Paul Box is executive director of the Wetlands Initiative. Thank you so much for stopping by. Always a pleasure. This episode of Reset was produced by Meha Ahmed, and it was edited by Dan Tucker and Brenda Ruiz. Get the news, politics, and culture happening in Chicago by subscribing to our podcast. We post episodes every morning and afternoon, Monday through Friday, with a bonus episode of something fun on Saturdays. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you again this afternoon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.